This Week in HPC. HPC Advisory Council meets in Spain. And predicting your death with big data. It's This Week in HPC. Hi, everyone. Thanks for dialing into another episode of This Week in HPC with Intersect 360 Research. I'm Addison Snell. That's Michael Feldman. And This Week in HPC distributed in partnership with our friends at Top500.org. Michael, I'm, I'm a little distracted by that second story coming up. We're well, going to talk about yeah. knowing when we're going to die. And I'm, I'm dying to get into that one. But in the meantime, you're in, uh, you're in Europe. You were just at the HPC Advisory Council Spain. Yeah, we're in Barcelona, Spain. I left that a couple days ago. Beautiful venue there, obviously. Um, and uh, interesting conference once again. There were a couple of interesting uh, sessions that really stood out, but a uh, good cast of characters otherwise. Um, of course what stood it, out for you this time? Well, I mean, some of the local talents. So a lot of the people uh, from there came from the Barcelona Supercomputing Center doing some interesting work. And, and one in particular, Tony Cortez, who leads the uh, storage system research group there, talked to, about some of the, the work they're doing on uh, sort of object-oriented storage. I mean, basically the idea of the work is, you know, he thinks file systems and databases, things we've had forever, are just not the right abstraction anymore for some of the new devices like non-volatile memory, uh, things of that nature, and there's there's better ways to to manage storage now because of that. So he uh, he sort of outlined what the work was about and how uh, there's other ways to use those machines to or the, those components to do storage in a very different way, a very different model. Um, that was one of the one of the interesting bits, yeah. but. I thought that's, something we've, that's something we've talked about before. You know, as much as there's all these underlying hardware architectures in compute, there's a more subtle, but in, for a lot of applications, more profound transition going on as we slowly migrate toward object storage. I, that's something you definitely have to keep your eyes on. Right. And what didn't occur to me until I heard his talk is that the hardware is is sort of pushing us in that direction as well. It's, it's sort of the, the co-design version of storage where you have... Uh, you know the hardware change, and now you you want to adapt the software and the application set to that. So yeah, interesting work and and a interesting perspective on what's going on on the storage side. Um, but actually, I thought the most interesting session there was was on the user side. The uh, CEO of Intelligent Pharma uh, presented in Ignacy Belda uh, presented a sort of an overview of what his company does. And I didn't even know there were companies like this, but apparently they do molecular modeling services for drug companies. So they sort of outsource, they, they serve as an outsourcing company for people doing uh, basically the things we've talked about that the drug companies do as far as finding drug candidates for different diseases. They they specialize in this, in the, in the software and the tools, and uh, drug companies hire them to do this work for them. Right. This is something we've seen a lot of in other industries as well, like manufacturing, where if you go to a smaller, medium-sized manufacturer, rather than having in, in-house HPC capabilities, you can outsource those to someone who's a specialist, who might be a smaller, medium-sized company themselves, but then HPC is really all they do, and then they bring it in from, from other organizations. This is an example of that going on in the pharma industry as well, but really anywhere you've got uh, small 
small to medium-sized organizations, uh, outsourcing that kind of expertise can be part of the business model. Right. And obviously, some of the drug companies still do this work in-house, but more and more as this, as this work expands and gets more complex, uh, the, the specialization sort of leads uh, companies to, to specialize in this and offer this as sort of an add-on. So, uh, interesting company, went through a lot of the different ways they do this, and even what systems they use. They have some smaller systems themselves, but they also use uh, the local uh, Barcelona supercomputer here, since this is a, a Barcelona company. And they also use Amazon for some of their time-critical work, just like uh, the drug companies do. So, uh, yeah, very uh, very good session there, and uh, a lot of insight into how some of the molecular modeling gets done nowadays. Good updates, Michael. And then you're going to stay in, in Europe. Uh, next week, you've got a, another conference. Yeah, next week uh, we're going to start the ISC Cloud and Big Data Conference. Looking forward to that the early next week, and that lasts a few days, and then I'll be uh, coming back home. Well, back here we've had a, a little bit of news going on in the local front in uh, Silicon Valley. IBM uh, has opened a, a new center in San Francisco for Watson. That was pretty interesting. Yeah, our backyard there. Yeah, I heard about that. There looks like they're doing a lot of uh, expansion around the Watson ecosystem there, and that was part of it. Interesting uh, to, to start a whole new center there in the, you know, right next to Silicon Valley. And then on the flip side, another small story, but we noticed that uh, Jim Keller is leaving AMD. Is this something we should be concerned about, do you think? Well, I mean, according to AMD, not. I mean, he was, you know, one of the chief drivers of the new uh, the new Opterons that they're planning and on releasing uh, come 2016, the so-called Zen cores. So he was sort of driving that, uh, being the chief architect of, of the microprocessor group there. But you know, according to AMD, that 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 roadmap is not being impacted by him leaving, and that's that's all in motion. So. Uh, I guess good news if that that occurs. But Jim Keller was a big name and you know considered one of the gurus of this industry as far as microprocessor development. So it is a loss for AMD going forward. It's just uh, you know it's, it's never a good time to lose a, a, a person like that. Yeah, it's going to take more than one point product release to uh, to really reestablish HPC. AMD is a long term player here in HPC, yep. although it it is a nice step. I think this is going to put even more attention on CTO Mark Papermaster, who's going to take over those responsibilities in the interim. Uh, I think you're going to need to put somebody good into that role on, on a long term basis. And uh, there's a lot on Carl Freund, who we've known for a long time, but who at least is now in a role where he's vice president of HPC, which isn't something we've seen at AMD for a while. Right. I mean, they've they've reemphasized the HPC strategy there, and they're revamping that as as we speak. So good to see that. But uh, this might be a little hiccup in the in the long term strategy. But uh, plenty of time to recover, and definitely some interesting stuff coming out of AMD over the next year or two. We'll have to keep an eye on. Well, I personally am not ready to predict AMD's death yet, but there's a supercomputer we can plug them into now that might be able to help with that, right? Yeah, very good segue there. <laughs> yeah, I mean, that was an interesting story that I think we both noticed in the news that uh, researchers in Boston at Beth Israel um, 
uh, medical hospital, they're utilizing this software platform or the supercomputer platform to predict the death of patients that check in there. And according to what they're saying, they can predict uh, when those patients are going to die with 95% accuracy within the next 30 days. And apparently, they run this on every new patient that comes across there, and and uh, it's it's been very accurate for them. Like I said, 95% accuracy, and and they also use this to to diagnose uh, other aspects of of patient care. They use you know what kinds of diseases they might have or what kinds of conditions they might have, and and use that to uh, to inform the patient care. Right. I, there's so much going on with this story. You almost want to jump right into the monologue about, uh, you know, what, what, all the jokes you could tell here. But starting with the serious. First of all, I mean, you see the headline: supercomputer is going to predict when you're going to die. This is not you, you, something you click on on Facebook. That's your clickbait. You put in, you know, you answer a few trivia questions, and it gives you a date far out in the future. This is for current patients, where it's it's hooked up to all the monitors, all the data looking at the streaming and there's intelligent uh, machine learning going on exactly. that now predicts with uh, within a confidence interval interval that a patient is uh, in danger of, of dying within the next 30 days if there's no uh, intervention so uh, it's actually useful for the doctors and it's not just uh, uh, the the death prediction which grabs the headline and the attention but they'll say all right here's an 80 percent chance that this patient is currently having chest pain or, or, or something right. else of that nature. So they're they're diagnosing your condition over time. They're not intending to replace the uh, the doctor or the clinician, but this is another tool that the doctor has in their arsenal to, to monitor a patient's status. Right. And like you alluded to, it's not just sort of the real-time data, although they're using that. They're checking your, you know, the real-time oxygen levels in your blood and the blood pressure and things like that, but they're also using the the historical data from uh, your patient file and, and plugging that in as well. So it's it's kind of collating a lot of the different uh, medical data around each individual to do this sort of prediction and and uh, analysis of, of what conditions you might have. And it uh, looks like they're having a lot of success with it. The doctor who's sort of in charge of this product uh, is very bullish on this, and they use it quite a bit. One thing that's kind of funny, he mentioned um, on one of the videos where he, he's talking to, uh, to journalists, he says they they actually don't tell the patient uh, about sort of the death prediction. I mean, if they were going to die in X amount of days. They they actually don't share that with the, uh, the patient as they do this. Well, I mean, it does get funny, right? I mean, you know, they're saying they've got a 95% confidence interval. You have to wonder what's it like to be in the control group for that. Yeah. <laughs> you know, as they're shaking this out, well, it says this one's got a 96% chance of dying, but you're in the control group, so we're just going to leave it alone and see if that proves to be true. Yeah, and you also have to wonder, like, if they, if these predictions are are causing the doctors sort of to treat the patients differently, sort of as far as how much effort they're going to put into the, you know, the the cure. If they predict, you know, this guy's going to die within two days and with, you know, 98% accuracy. I mean, obviously they're going to, you know, tell him at that point that that he's in bad shape. But um, it, it, tell it does, the family to get their affairs in order or something like that. I mean, it does raise some moral questions about how you treat patients here as far as like how, how much you're going to share some of this information that's coming out of these these pieces of software and, and how you're going to sort of handle that in a, in a personal sense. 
Yeah, and how far do you want to back that up, right? It, it, you know, this is this like weather prediction where it gets more, not only more and more accurate locally, but more and more long-term forecasting where, you know, now they start telling you 18 months in advance. That'd be weird. Yeah, that would be weird. <laughs> or 10 years in advance, right? Uh, how, how far in advance would you want to know? Yeah, I mean, most people, yeah, most people might not want to know that. But, and, and that, you know, sort of raises the spectrum. I mean, we're doing they're doing this for short term, you know, within 30 days. They're not doing, as you sort of started this this analysis out, they're not doing, you, you plug something in, it'll give you a date on when you're going to die 10, 20, 30 years out. But you can sort of see that's where some of this is leading. They're going to collect enough data and with enough fidelity to maybe do that in, in the not too distant future. You'll be able to just give them sort of a lot of your data and, and a lot of your information that you've collected over the years, and they might be able to give you a pretty decent uh, prediction of, of uh, when you're gonna when you're gonna die and how are people gonna use information like that or if people even want to use information like that. Well hopefully today's not the day for either you or me, partner. Yeah, hopefully not. Yeah, I think we're we're still in pretty good shape. All right. Well <laughs> it's, it's a fascinating story. You it know, is. you look at all the ways we can use big data and uh, and supercomputing. Uh, here's another one. So uh, you know, it's the the great thing about these meetings, these conferences, these stories is you get to see all the different ways that HPC can be deployed. That's what's so much fun in our industry. Absolutely. All right, Michael, thanks a lot, and I'll look forward to an update from you next week. Speaking of big data on the uh, ISC cloud and big data conferences, so uh, I'll look forward to hearing that. And thanks to you for listening. You've been listening to This Week in HPC. You've been listening to This Week in HPC. 